0: through 24. In those days I also saw I, Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab, and their children spake half of the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' um, language, but according to the language of each people. Please be seated. Let's just get this right here out in the open. I have failed you this evening, and you're not even aware of it. Generally, when I stand up here, you have a piece of paper in your lap. Notice you don't have that piece of paper tonight, because I forgot about it up until 38 minutes ago. So, uh, what we'll do is we'll have a sermon on Nehemiah this week and a next opportunity I have to preach will be the end of the month. I'll give you that copy of Nehemiah, and we'll have another sermon. So it'll be great. It's it's a good book. We should study it more. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter number 13 this evening. And uh, we're going to ask the question, but what about love? It was the duty of Nehemiah, as you and I read through his book that he wrote, uh, by the inspiration of God, that he come back. And establish the city for God properly. His distinctive job that you and I think of when we think of this book is a wall. And he did build that wall. As a matter of fact, you've probably heard sermons on 52 days. How long it took him to build that wall? 52 days. Because, as the Bible would say, the people had a mind to work. That's always a great starter for a preacher. And his job was, you you make sure the outside is going to be secured and the perimeter is going to be secured. And a man by the name of Ezra was sent back with him. And Ezra's job, as we noticed last time we talked, was to establish the worship that had left Israel after Israel came back from captivity. Once again, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther are all post-exile books. Zerubbabel was the governor of the nation at the time, and his job was to come back and reestablish the civil government. So, they're going to have a civil government, they're going to have worship unto God, and they're going to have a city where they don't have to worry about... Uh, wild animals coming in or wild packs of, of heathenistic men coming in and taking them over. And so Nehemiah's job's very important as you and I look at him. I'd like for us to look at something that I, I don't guess I've ever seen really until this past week. And it's found in the last chapter of Nehemiah, but in order to get there, let's start with this. God's design for marriage has been the same since the garden up until February the 13th of 2022. And if you're watching online, that's the day this sermon's being preached. And if you're watching further past that, it's still the same designated law given by God. That regulation in marriage has never changed no matter what any government, no matter what any person or any, any entity would think about it. As a matter of fact, uh, the idea of this particular law and its judgment uh, by our society has been put aside for so many years. It's a wonder we still know which bathroom to use. Isn't it a shame? Because of the history of how we have treated God's rules and regulations, we don't know which side is up anymore. It's Nehemiah's job to go back to Jerusalem and set those things in order, along with Ezra and Zerubbabel. And he's going to do that here in chapter number 13. Let's go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, and let's read for a moment. Verse number 25. By the way, Gage. I should know who's going to read those verses, and uh, if I would have known that, perhaps I would have given you a couple of easier ones, but uh, you handled those uh, very well, and I appreciate that. Let's pick up where he left off. Well, you know what? Let's back up and think about what he read for just a second. Here you have people who are intermarrying, in the faith of paganism and in the faith of following after God, so much so that their children can halfway talk to the pagans but can't speak to the children of God at all. That's 23 and 24. And in 25, here's what you read. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. Stop. Stop. Do you hear what he just said? I slapped them and then I pulled their hair out. Preaching is a lot easier today. I don't have to pull out hair. Pull out mine sometimes, thinking about stuff. But I don't pull yours out. Notice how, how committed he is to changing these things around. And verse 25, And made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there's no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall then... Shall we then hearken unto you to do this great evil, to transgress our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Jodiah, the son of Elish, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanbalat the Hornite. Therefore I chased him from me. Now, for you who have studied Nehemiah, remotely, you'll remember that Sanballat and Tobiah are the two guys that are always trying to run in and have a fight and pick a fight with Nehemiah. And as he's reading and understanding what is going on in the marriages of these people, what he's saying is, and I found out that this guy right here was the son-in-law to the fellow who was trying to knock down the wall. And so I chased him out. Literally, it would be I ran after him, seemingly with the intent, verse number 25, to, to smote him and to pull out his hair and to say, what's wrong with you? What an interesting idea. That the world around the faithful of God can so affect it, and move her ever so slightly to where she doesn't understand that she's moving, doesn't feel like she's moving. But when that fateful remnant of God look up, they're off kilter. Imagine that. It's a good thing for us that we don't have any problems in marriage today in the society in which we live. Whew. We can just avoid that, right? I don't think we can. Notice this. As we look at Nehemiah and what he did, here's how it it really parlays into our life. The design of marriage has never changed. God is not like the game of 21. Tim Weimer, do you know what that is? Mm Mm-hmm. Any of you ever play basketball? You just shake or nod. Do you know what the game of 21 is? 21 is a game where you have an opportunity to kind of warm up your muscles and play a little offense and play a little defense. On its very basic nature that's what it is. But when you play in different courts you have to ask How are we playing? Are we playing tips or no tips? That means if they tip you in, you go back to zero. You don't want to go to zero. You want to win with 21 points. Are we shooting from the free throw line or from three point? Are we shooting all day or three at the line? You have to ask all those questions so you know which game you're playing. You don't have to ask those questions with God. You don't have to ask those questions with marriage because the same rules that were established in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, still apply today. They haven't changed. There are no amendments. There are no uh, changes. And, well, since, since this old law left and this and that, no, 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 no. Jesus even retorts that same idea that's given in Matthew chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, in, in Matthew chapter 19, it's Genesis chapter 2. He, he, he mimics it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. He would ask those men there, have you not read that he that made them in the beginning, this is about verse 4, made them male and female, and uh, he made them to go together. and What he has pour, put together, let not, let not man tear asunder rip apart change what an interesting question that jesus asks these men known as pharisees you know the the intellectual ones the one who know the law when he asks them this question it is a dig at what they do have you not read Of course they've read that. They knew that probably as well as you and I know our social security numbers. They know what Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25 says. The problem is they're not applying it. And I'll be real honest with you. When it comes to marriage, we can know every verse found in the Bible on that subject. And not apply those things and be dead wrong. We can know those rules and regulations for marriage. We can apply those things and we can have what I think God would intend to be a little slice of heaven right here on earth. You know what the other option is is to to not apply those things the right way and have a little slice of Right here on earth. So let's look at those things. Here are the facts marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime, with one exception. Isn't that easy? All right, I want you to sear into your mind this particular slide. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And we're going to answer every marital question you have tonight. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, preacher, what about homosexuality? Does it fit with one man, one woman? Nope. Then it ain't right. What about multiple marriages? Does it fit with one man, one woman for one life? No, then it ain't right. What about polygamy? Does it fit with one man, one woman with one life? No, then it ain't right. What about living together? What about one man, one woman, and one lifetime? The parameters of God's rules are extremely easy and we need help to make them difficult but we found the help. We've listened to society long enough who tells us that anything and everything is marriage. Shame, shame, shame. Does it fit within this rule? If it does, then it's marriage. If it does not, then it's something else masquerading as marriage and wanting to be slid into the group of marriage but that doesn't make it marriage remember this morning i can stand inside a chicken coop doesn't make me a chicken i can i can brandy and i can live together for years and years and years doesn't make it marriage The fact of marriage from Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were formed, first Adam out of the dirt, then Eve out of his side, it is this, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Some of those um, vows that we make during the marriage, uh, we don't expect ever to see. And so foolishly at a young age, we just make those and say, yeah, 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 okay, I'm I'm in for marriage. Let me tell you something. Are you ready? Healthy days will be there, so will the sick ones. Good days will be there, so will the bad ones. Pay attention to what you're agreeing to, because you're agreeing, agreeing to this for life. Well, if I don't don't like it, I'll just... Okay. See how that works out for you. All right, preacher, but what about the Old Testament and multi-marriages that we find throughout those pages? I can't speak to that. Here's why. One, it ain't my job to decide if God is satisfied with those multiple marriages in the Old Testament. That ain't my job. I can't speak to it. Secondly, it is also the fact that that is an Old Testament practice, and I live under a New Testament law. So I don't even live in in that same idea, in that same society in which they live. But I do live in this one. Preacher, doesn't God want me to be happy? Mm, mm, mm. Does Nehemiah 13, 23 through 30 seem happy to you? Where we started, where where the children couldn't even speak to the children of God, where Nehemiah ran through, ran somebody out, and was was hitting people and pulling their hair and saying, Don't you understand? Does that seem happy to you? Was it necessary? Now, you're not going to believe this, Children that there comes a point in time where you need to be disciplined and you need to be disciplined further than just being grounded. Corporal punishment needs to be applied. And that's a sad time for you, isn't it? Just shake your head this way. All right, parents, is it a sad time for you? Yeah. Yeah. But does it have to happen? Yes. We're going to dispel the myth of doesn't God want me to be happy? If you're taking notes, you can take it. If you want to go back and watch it, it'll be online. You just mark this time in there for them, Tim. You ready? Does God want me to be happy? no. He wants you to be faithful, period. Did you mark that one? Notice this. Still, the fact is, one man, one woman for one life. God wants us to be faithful, and when my priorities are set properly where God is priority number one. When that happens, then my happiness will be based on my following God's will even in my marriage. So being faithful to my Father will cause me to be happy. God doesn't want me to be happy here. There are plenty of people who are trying to stay here because they don't want to see him and they don't want to have to face what's coming up. There are plenty of people who are happy here and they don't want to leave here and so they're trying everything they can to stay here. But we sing quite frequently, this world is not my home. And we live like this is all we have. We sing that I'm just a passing through and my treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue except in the idea of how we're supposed to be married. It's so simple. One man, one woman, one lifetime, with one exception. It's so easy and we make it so hard. There will be plenty. There will be plenty of people who consider themselves obedient to God. Even found within the church that Christ, for which Christ died. There will be plenty of people who find themselves thinking they've done everything that they possibly could do to be faithful to God. And in every other area of their life... More than likely we'll have done those things. And will ask the damnable question, but doesn't want me God want me to be happy? To find out too late, God wants his children faithful. In order to be a faithful child of God, you first have to be a child of God. That's just kind of how that thing works. You have to hear what he has to say and believe those things. Repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ and be baptized to be added to his family. And then from that point, you have to live a life that says, I'm going to do what God says is the best for me no matter what anyone else will say. Or how it will be reflected uh, in society. That I must do exactly what God wants me to do. That's faithfulness. It's the idea of being lorded over by Jesus the Christ. It's the idea of me being subject unto what he says and how he says it. We're not going to have a great cleansing like Nehemiah did we're going to run through and, and just chase people around and say you've got to let me ask you this if we did have that would we be chasing you if that's the fact wouldn't you want to correct that before you have to give an account for that Your destiny is ultimately in your hands. Make the choice now while we stand and sing.